uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Hello out there in cyberspace. You know, it's been a wild few weeks for crypto. Well, it's been a wild few weeks for crypto and NFTs. The whole market took some hits, but the crypto markets especially have seemed to spiral in the last few weeks. At the same time, there's been so many hacks, uh, stolen apes, and ransom tokens, it's hard to keep track of them all. Well, today we're going to go through some of the news, who lost what and how, and also, what is it about the blockchain that makes it so vulnerable to these hacks and schemes? I'm Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. So, uh, on this week's show, we've got Motherboard Senior Staff Writer Lorenzo Franceschi Bicarai and Motherboard Senior Editor Jordan Pearson. Thank you both so much for coming on to the show. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. And uh, thank you to the viewing audience. Uh, you know, we had some problems with Discord. There was an API outage, and we had to quickly switch between Zoom and Google Meet and get this thing working on OBS. It was, uh, it was a fun little scramble, but here we are now. And we're ready to talk about uh, the winners and losers of uh, the crypto market. Um, so, Jordan, I know it's been kind of a rough and weird few weeks with crypto and OpenSea. Can you kind of give us a rundown of what's going on in the market? Is it is you know is this the crypto crash or or, or is news of uh, the blockchain's death completely overblown? Yeah, well, I mean, if you can squint and see my profile picture here, we have uh, Jack Dorsey, Barry Silbert. Najib Bukele, uh, Michael Saylor, uh, and they're all working at McDonald's now because uh, this has not been a very good time for for crypto. Everyone is uh, freaking out and panicking. Basically, if you read crypto, if you read Twitter and read anything from someone in crypto right now, just assume they're they're in a state of panic. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't say it's the crash. I wouldn't say it's the death of of anything, but it is a crash, uh, and it's a it's a nasty one for sure. So everything is down. Uh, Bitcoin has lost like fifty percent of its value. Uh, not the first time it's happened. Probably not the last time it will happen. But uh, it's dark, man. Um, blood in the streets type of vibe, I would say. All right. Well, up here at the top, um, moving off the market and into kind of the, the realm of exploits, I want to talk about this open sea flaw that allowed people to buy NFTs at rock bottom prices. Joseph Cox wrote this for us, but I know both of you are, are pretty learned in what's going on here. So Jordan, real quick, for people who don't know, what is open sea? Yeah, uh, I mean, this is a really interesting, uh, really interesting thing that happened and is still happening, actually. But so OpenSea is uh, maybe the most popular uh, marketplace for NFTs. So it's a peer to peer marketplace. You know, people plug in their NFTs and they sell them uh, to each other. Uh, But it's really not as simple as that because OpenSea is a, you know, it's what you'd call a centralized service. Like it's working with blockchain tokens. But it's a website. It runs on databases, uh, and a lot of things that happen there are just happening internally, centrally. Uh, you know, like a normal website. Um, but you know, it's where people go to buy and sell NFTs. But increasingly, it's also becoming uh, something that's implicated in you know all sorts of different like scams and schemes uh, that uh, sort of exist in the space between like it's, it's centralized nature as a marketplace and like the decentralized nature of the underlying tokens that it, that it's working with. And that's kind of exactly what, what happened in this instance you, you brought up. Okay. So what was this vulnerability? What happened here exactly? You know, I, I love the, the quote in the deck 
I just lost an ape, guys. I'm crying. How did this just happen? Tweeted a user whose NFT was bought for just $1,750 and resold for $190,000. Yeah, tragic. Absolutely tragic. Uh, Hate to see it. Um, But yeah, so so what happened here, um, and this is still happening, by the way. Um, So obviously these NFTs are really expensive. Like these apes go for like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, But what this person woke up one day and realized was that their NFT had been purchased on OpenSea for much, much less money. Um, How does that happen? Uh, So OpenSea tells users like OpenSea itself, itself like warns users basically that like due to uh, the quirks of how it's set up. um, So let me just back up a little bit. Okay. Uh, so NFTs are these tokens that are on this decentralized blockchain. And when you send them, you know, it's, it's irreversible. There's nobody who you can call and complain and be like, please give my NFT back, freeze this transaction, whatever it is. Um, marketplace is, uh, sorry, OpenSea is a marketplace. That's a, it's a centralized website. So like uh, the thing is like doing anything with Ethereum costs a lot of money and gas um, and OpenSea to get around this because like, you know, that's a usability problem. Like people aren't going to be like wanting to do a bunch of stuff on OpenSea if it costs them thousands and thousands of dollars to do that. Um, and OpenSea doesn't want to like pay, you know, crazy, crazy amounts of fees itself. So a lot of what it does is, is it happens like just internally, like it's not all hitting the blockchain live. A lot of it is like batched and like just done on the back end, like a, like a normal website. And then it hits the blockchain to, to settle basically. So what this means is like you can you can list an uh, an NFT at a certain price on OpenSea for free, but to like kind of revoke that you have to pay a gas fee, which people don't want to do for obvious reasons. Right, so, gas fees are pretty exorbitant, right? They can be yeah, upwards like, of a couple hundred bucks. It can be like it can be like even 50 bucks, which like, you know, maybe Maybe people just don't want to pay that, like just to like, you know, cancel the sale of their NFT or whatever. Um, so so the thing is, so so what happens is when you list your NFT for a low price um, and you don't cancel it, what happens is that price is then broadcast on OpenSea's API. It is scraped by other um, like marketplaces like Rarible scrapes uh, OpenSea listings. Um, so the issue is if you like put this listing on OpenSea and you don't go through the process of like posting a message on the blockchain to revoke it, um, these listings like still exist and they can be fulfilled. So, you know, some clever person is out there scanning, looking for like lower listings that like this person might not be aware of because they didn't go through this like complicated and janky process of like canceling their earlier listing on the blockchain. Um, they just sweep it up. So they, they're just like, I just bought your NFT for like this low, low price. And like technically, 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 like I guess it's not really a hack. It's just like this like really janky process um, that just arises because like of this like centralized marketplace that's working with these like decentralized tokens. Um, and the problem has gotten so bad that now like I literally just saw like there's someone who is like now like kind of like put on their cape and they're like actively buying people's nfts that are vulnerable and just posting on the on like twitter like hey if you own this nft dm me i just bought it for super cheap because if i didn't someone else would and they're not going to give it back to you so like again you're in this kind of like realm that happens like fairly often where like you know there's no like 
there's no blockchain police except for the real police obviously <laughs> but like uh, so like you're in this space where like you know code is law ostensibly so it's left to like some random person to like defensively hack everyone else essentially and then just be a good guy and, and give it back and that's what's happening <laughs> this is we've got a question i think you i think you answered it but i just want to be absolutely clear we've got a question from first time viewer in the chat um it wasn't entirely clear to me from the article were they listing them in the first place and it sounds like they were these were like old listings basically yeah so my understanding is for this to work you have to list it you have to list it at some point okay. um for like a lower price yeah. gotcha um ash Taranic, i hope that answered your question um one more thing and then i want to switch to lorenzo and get into like some other hacks that are happening. Uh, I want to read OpenSea's uh, their comment. Like when we asked them for comment, when they when we reached out to them, when they're talking about this. Um, Since this issue was identified, we've taken it incredibly seriously and worked to ship product solutions for the community. This is not an exploit or a bug. It's an issue that arises because of the nature of the blockchain. OpenSea cannot cancel listings on behalf of users. Instead, users must cancel their own listings. It's OpenSea's priority to make users aware of all their listings, and we're working on a number of product improvements to address this, including a dashboard where they can easily see and cancel listings. In addition, we've been actively reaching out to and reimbursing affected users. We have not communicated broadly about this issue because we do not want to risk bringing it to the attention of bad actors who can abuse it at scale before we have mitigations in place. And it certainly seems like um, the cat is out of the bag, right? Uh, what do you make of this? Is this enough jp what do you think i mean it's an interesting statement for sure um like because like they're right i don't think this is like a hack or a bug i think this is just like a really janky situation that arises from a centralized service running on top of like something that's decentralized and global and is irreversible and involves money like if you're not on your toes someone else is going to who is like smarter or more savvy is going to take advantage of you and code is law. So there's nothing you can really do about it. Um, so right, it, it's not even the nature of the blockchain. Like I find that a little pernicious as well. Like it's, it's not the nature of the blockchain. It's the nature of like how this centralized service is set up and interacting with the blockchain that you, leads to this like circumstance. Yeah. You've said a couple times now code is law. Um, can you explain that? I know that that's part of like, uh, is, that's lingua franca, I guess, in the in the blockchain world. But can you kind of explain like what that means, what that ethos means? Yeah, I mean, I'm saying it a little like tongue in cheek, like ironically, because right, like, right. I, I, I got the snark in your law. voice. Yeah, law is law, um, but it's the it's just the basic idea that like uh, like this code is immutable, it's irreversible, and what happens on chain is what happens. Like that's reality. Like your tears are not reality. Your, your intentions are not reality. Your mistakes are not reality. What's written on that ledger is reality. And um, when it comes to hacks and scams, like, I mean, that, that opens up like a whole world of pain um, for obvious reasons, you know, like um, code is law. Like it's good to like, you can say that like theoretically, but then like when, when a literal thief criminal is, telling you code is law because they stole your shit and you can't do anything about it. That's like, that's a whole different uh, ball game. Speaking about worlds of pain, uh, Lorenzo, the last seven stories and we're looking at them here that you've written at motherboard have been 
focused on these crypto hacks and kind of the fallout from them and how they've happened. Let's get into, I think, one of the more well-known and famous ones because, you know, it had a buzzy Matt Damon ad and they've purchased an arena. What was the crypto.com hack? How much was taken? What do we know so far? First of all, I really recommend watching that ad. I had not, I had not seen it before writing the story and it's incredible. It's really, uh, really, really nice. Um, so yeah, crypto.com is one of the largest uh, cryptocurrency exchanges in the world. I think it's the fourth, according to one uh, one counts. It's huge. You probably, if you follow sports, you've seen their ads. Uh, I've seen them in like Formula One races, uh, soccer matches. They are uh, sponsoring the Los Angeles Lakers arena, uh, something that cost them $700 million. They're a huge company that's doing a, a huge marketing push to become the leader in this space, you know, basically fight against Coinbase. Um, so what happened a couple of weeks ago, or not even actually a week ago, feels like a couple of weeks ago, uh, is that they, well, initially a few users complained that they were seeing their crypto being stolen from their crypto.com wallets. There was some confusion until crypto.com uh, admitted that there was what they called an incident and but everything was fine because i love no, that you, phrasing by the way an incident yeah yeah you know no big deal uh, nothing to see here um but and they said that no user funds no customer funds were lost uh, which was a little confusing because they also said that uh, there were like 15 million dollars uh, had, had been withdrawn as part of this incident so it was really unclear what was happening um they were not very forthcoming and then this week, they updated their their statements. They put out a new blog post uh, with updates, and it turns out that the hack was actually thirty million. Again, they they kept saying that no users lost funds, but that's all. That's just because they refunded them. So you know the customers did lose the funds. The hackers stole them, but Crypto.com refunded them. Uh, we don't know who the hackers are. Um, you know, could be really anyone. There's been a lot of, um, in the last couple of years, uh, North Korea has been really focused on stealing cryptocurrency, but who knows? I mean, you know, crypto is so huge now that it's such a big target for everyone. There's so much money in it that it's a great place to try to hack. Is it just because it's the Wild West that all this stuff is so new and there's just kind of no... I mean, I feel like... You know, my 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 knee jerk reaction is, oh, we need some regulations in place. But I feel like the, the issues here are, are deeper and more fundamental. It's the technology itself and the way it interacts with other technologies, right? And either one of you answer. I think there's a few a few things here. One of them is that this is still a relatively new industry that is um, getting popular very fast. Um, and everyone is trying to get into it. So it's not very mature in terms of cybersecurity. Uh, you know, these are, I mean, crypto.com is different. They're huge, but some of these like other companies that, that have been hacked that we will talk about later have, are like startups that are just trying to get in, get in the game, you know, raising some capital, hiring developers, maybe doing some marketing. Cybersecurity is really not their, their main, their main focus right now. Even though the 
the hackers focus is very, very much on cryptocurrency platforms and, and companies. The other thing is that, you know, we have to remember that a lot of this, you know, a lot of, a lot of the fundamentals of the blockchain and cryptocurrency, which is the fact that it's, you know, they're, every transaction is public, uh, smart contracts are public, immutable. That is actually bad for cybersecurity. If if something is running on a smart contract that it's impossible to change and it was made, it, there's a flaw in it, then there's nothing you can do. You have to do something that, like, it's not like you can push a patch uh, like with a regular software. So, and again, like, but the main, the main issue for me is that these people are just not really investing in cybersecurity enough. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it, these, you can change things on the blockchain. You can change these smart contracts, but it's just like, you have to get a bunch of people to agree to it and it's costly, right? Or am I completely wrong? Jordan, I feel it like. It depends. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you, you can, like, upgrade like once something is coded and on the blockchain it is there forever um but like you can you can if you're you know you know what you're doing you can like code in ways to like change different things and change different parameters and stuff you can also like you know fork if it if things get real bad like this is like total uh total you know nuke situation like you you can like fork. maybe you're referring to this you can fork a chain and like that requires consensus for people to move on to the new chain with the new rules that wipe out the old hack or whatever happened. This actually happened to Ethereum in, in uh, 2016, I think. Um, old Ethereum is now called Ethereum Classic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. It's interesting. This, this whole thing is an interesting issue because, like, on one hand, like, when you think about it, none of these hacks are, like, like no one is hacking Bitcoin. Like, Bitcoin is as secure as it was the day it was launched. Like this is software that's been out in the world on the internet in public for 10 years, securing billions of dollars and uh, really has not experienced a significant like cybersecurity incident of the protocol itself. So when you think about it in those terms, like Bitcoin may be one of the most secure pieces of software ever released in the real world, but like I think where I'm where I'm kind of thinking of this is that like you know centralization and decentralization are not like solutions to anything on their own. Like I think that centralization is good for some things and opens up some avenues of attack. I think decentralization is good for some things and opens some avenues of attack. Like um, like the the immutability and like irreversibility part of it is like uh, that's great for like you know preventing like double spends and all of the stuff that bitcoin and derivative blockchains are designed to do and you've because of that you've actually created this like money system on the internet that so far hasn't like failed really which is incredible but by the same token those innovations like enable hackers to steal stuff and then they can just disappear and you can't get it back so it's kind of like this double-edged sword of like, you know, what it enables uh, in in terms of security and then also like the holes that it leaves open in terms of security and like new avenues of attack and stuff like that. This is a good segue into talking about another one of Lorenzo's stories. Um, Lorenzo, what is the multi-chain hack? Where did it start and kind of where are we right now with it? 
So it started before it went public last last week, early last week, but it started earlier. <clears throat> a security company found a vulnerability in multi-chain, which is a platform to exchange different tokens, different crypto tokens. Uh, it used to be called AnySwap. Um, so this company found that it was possible for hackers to drain wallets uh, from users on multi-chain unless these users changed a setting, some permissions on these, revoked permissions on these tokens. There were, I think, six different tokens that were vulnerable. And the this got really bad when um, multi-chain announced the vulnerability and, uh, you know, alerted users that they needed to revoke permission. Um, so they had to do this because they could not themselves fix the issue. You know, it was a issue with the smart contract. Uh, they couldn't change it. So the only way to stop hackers from stealing cryptocurrency in this case was for the users to to do their own, to fix to fix it themselves. The other problem here is that like, uh, you know, like a lot of the cryptocurrency world, it's all, you know, a lot of it is pseudonymous. A lot of it is anonymous. Multi-chain doesn't, require users to sign up with um, emails or any other way to contact them. So they had no way to tell their users that they needed to revoke these permissions um, except for just screaming into the internet, which meant that hackers saw it and and thought, well, maybe we can, we can do something about this. And in a couple of days, I think... Uh, yeah, in a couple of days, hackers stole three to four million dollars from users on multi-chain. Uh, this got interesting at some point because one of the hackers announced with a message on the on the Ethereum blockchain that they were actually saving the money. The hacker said that they were just saving the money from other hackers that they were white white hat hackers, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners know, but. White hat and black hat are popular distinctions to uh, talk about hackers who are either bad or good. Um, and the hacker also said that they, they would return the money but keep um, like a tip for their service. Um, we I give I give eighty percent back. Uh, the rest is the tips for me saving your money. The hacker mm-hmm. wrote. Interesting definition of a tip. I have to say. Yeah. It's interesting also because this is not the first time. This has become some sort of a trend in the cryptocurrency world. Whenever there's a, or sometimes when when there's when there's some vulnerability, some major hack, uh, some hacker comes out and says, "Hey, I'm the I'm the good guy here. I'm stopping the bad guys. I, I'll I'm stealing the money, but don't worry, I'll return it." The biggest example was the poly poly swarm incident, uh, which was last summer, I think. Um, in that case, the hacker actually stole $600 million. Um, initially, they didn't say anything about you know their good intentions, but the company posted messages on the blockchain calling the hacker Mr. White Hat. Um, you mean the Poly Network hack? Yeah, Poly Network, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Poly Swarm is another thing. Apologies, yeah, Poly Network. Um, so yeah, the, the Poly Network uh, posted these messages, pleading with the hacker, which seemed, to be honest, pretty desperate. Um, no, nobody really thought it was going to work. And against all odds, actually, the hacker was like, you know what? Yeah, here's here's, here's your money back. Um, you know, it got so bizarre that the company even promised uh, a bug bounty, which is not exactly how this works. They also promised the hacker a job 
as a chief security advisor or something like that. Eventually, anyway, eventually the money was returned. Uh, the hacker didn't get the job, I think. And um, as far as we know, and everything, everyone was happy. Uh, and in this case, it happened. This, the same thing happened. This one hacker that called themselves White Hat, they returned $1.4 million, I think, around that at the time. Um, but there were other hackers involved and not all the money has been returned. And what's happening right now is that there's still users getting hacked because they haven't seen the public announcement. You know, they haven't checked multi-chain's Twitter account. They haven't checked their blog post. Uh, they just didn't know about it. Um, so I've been scrolling a little bit on the multi-chain's public Telegram channel. And there's still people complaining about getting hacked, asking whether their funds will be returned or reimbursed. Uh, multi-chain has been really bad at communicating throughout this whole thing. You know, when they announced the vulnerability, somehow they called this fixed. They said that the hacks, the hack was contained. Sorry, not fixed. They said that the hack was contained, which is not really a word that I would use when, you know, there's countless users that can be hacked um, anytime. So the, the communication was an ideal. Uh, obviously, you know, the, the original scene, quote unquote, was that they, they were forced to announce this publicly because they couldn't change the, they couldn't fix the vulnerability themselves. Um, and yeah, this is still happening. Uh, the good news is that when the security company called DDoB uh, found the, the issue, they, you know, they alerted multi-chain, worked with them, and it actually turned out that it could have been much worse. Uh, at the beginning, when the company found the vulnerability, the flaw, uh, they estimate that there were $2 billion in cryptocurrency exposed. Uh, luckily, multi-chain was able to contact some of the wallets with the most money. I guess in that case, that ways to contact them. Um, and, you know, they told them to plug the hole. And so so they they were able to, like, go down, like, limit the damage to 3 to $4 million, which is still a lot of money. And And also, you know, it's great that they... You know, they protected the users with the most money, but some of the people that are losing money now are just, you know, average uh, internet users who maybe have just a few thousand dollars. Maybe it's their, maybe it's some of their savings is in crypto. So, yeah, you know, these are not the guys that are going to get the headlines because they only lose, you know, a few thousand dollars. But for them, this may be very, very important. I find this whole idea of like the self described white hat, like, so fascinating because we've seen this like over and over and over in in crypto like throughout the years um because like it's just such a perfect like result of like just the nature of the blockchain like you have this vulnerability it's not easily fixed and like meanwhile anyone in in the entire world at any time of day can like exploit it and just run away so like this confluence of factors means that like you know, if you're like a good guy, like you have to just like jump into action and hack the shit out of everybody and then like ideally like give it back. But like the poly network thing is super interesting because it's like, I mean, was this guy a white hat initially? Like I have my doubts about that. Like maybe, yeah. you know, Tether froze like his funds and he was like, hmm, this isn't going as well as I thought. Maybe I can just become a white hat. You know what I mean? Like because like there's also like a, a level of anonymity here. And like all of these negotiations are happening in public on the blockchain itself. It's just such a wild scene. 
I really like um, this from one of your stories, Lorenzo, uh, from the uh, the multi-chain. Um, well received. Thank you for your honesty. One victim who lost nearly a million in ether and offered a fifty Ethereum, roughly one hundred fifty thousand tip, wrote in a blockchain message to the hacker. I can't think of any other instance where if someone robbed me of nearly a million dollars, I'm going to be thanking them after they return it. Right. It's, it, it, it is a really weird phenomenon, Jordan. You're right. Yeah. It's truly bizarre. And it's, it's been happening so many times that, uh, you know, you, you have to wonder whether this is actually now, like, I wonder if this multi-chain what hat was inspired by previous ones or just wanted the, you can't, you can't even say that they want the fame or the, the notoriety because they're just anonymous people right. on the blockchain. Not with that much, with does the fame or the notoriety matter when there's that much money on the line? Really? You know, right. it seems like easy pickings to me. Yeah, I mean, this guy or this person, we don't know if it's a guy, this person could have just easily kept the money, ran away, used like a tumbling um, or, you know, like one of those services that basically makes it harder to trace their crypto and enjoy the money. Um, so, yeah, I really wish we knew who this person was. There was also another interesting angle that I didn't mention about the multi-chain hack is that some people now say, like some security experts say that what multi-chain should have done is hack the users themselves, like hack their own users right. and so to protect the money. So basically go into... Th- every wallet that was um, vulnerable, take the money. And then, uh, you know, once the users uh, change their settings, return the money, which honestly, that would have been probably be, that would have been what the ideal scenario here. I don't know why they didn't do it, to be honest. They haven't really answered any of our questions. Hacking is both the problem and the solution to so many things in this world, it turns out. It feels like America's gun debate all over again in some ways. We um, all just hack the shit out of each other. Yeah. Maybe it'll leave you know. I mean, you're really, it's your fault for not bringing a Winchester rifle with you when you're traveling across the country uh, with your family trying to start a new life in California, right? But um, don't worry, I, I have a bazooka. So. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, so do you think it's is it possible for this space to get cleaned up be more secure uh or is this just going to keep happening is this a feature of stuff that's off the chain having to interact with things that are in on the chain i personally think there's lots of room for services to improve here like um like the space is very new and like as lorenzo was saying earlier like it's just very new there's not a lot of investment in cybersecurity in a lot of instances um, and we're also seeing like in particular with like, uh, OpenSea and MetaMask and just things like that. Like these are a lot, these are really like centralized things being built on top of a decentralized, uh, ecosystem. And we're seeing like where all of these issues arise. I'm 
somewhat optimistic that like with time and better engineering and exploration that like there will be better like more on-chain solutions that like minimize uh some of the jankiness here that leaves a lot of room um so like i I do think that like just with time and engineering like a lot of this will get better uh and like there are people building like alternative solutions right now but uh i mean there's always this is always going to be an element of it like you know my phone is ringing off the hook some days with like scammers calling me and like that's not a risk to me but if i was like an older person maybe i'd pick up the phone and give them all my money like people are literally Mm -hmm. calling me trying to get my money like that's just happening to me. It's happening to like all of us. And like, so like we look at the blockchain and I'm like, maybe this isn't such an aberration for how things just go. That's fair. I mean, I basically don't answer phone calls, right? Unless it's somebody that's saved in my phone book or I'm expecting someone, I just don't answer them. Cause right. it's, I mean, that's what it is. It's always somebody trying to either sell me an extended warranty for my car or trick me into giving them money. You mean so, a warranty? The warranty. They always mispronounce it. It's, it's very interesting. I, I agree with Jordan, by the way. I think it's uh, I think it's just a, still a relatively new uh, space. I think also something that we we need to rem- we need to remember is that the, the cybersecurity world as kind of a hostile attitude towards cryptocurrency um so that there's very little crossover between the two industries for now uh but you're starting to see companies like security companies specifically specialized in uh, in cryptocurrency um you know distributed apps uh, smart contracts and stuff like that so there's definitely a space there's definitely space there for you know, people in cybersecurity to get in and make a lot of money securing software that it's not that well coded sometimes. A lot of easy bugs. Yeah, I noticed I, I noticed this in some of your stories, Lorenzo, that when you talk to cybersecurity experts, they can be quite um, flippant and mean. So it makes sense that it, there's so... And this will kind of transition to the more existential questions I want to get to now. It does seem like um, there is no sympathy out there online for you if you bought an ape and your ape got stolen. No matter who you are, if you've bought into this, people have a certain view of you. And it's hard when, like, you know, Paris Hilton and Jimmy Fallon are up there showing off their apes and uh, is incredibly cringe and makes everyone sad and angry. Right. But I mean, I, I do feel like this stuff is going to be sticking around and may get normalized. Um, and JP, you and I were talking earlier this morning about how weird social media has been around the crypto space this week. What are you what are you seeing? What have you been what are, what are you talking about? Uh, well, I mean, it all stems from pain <laughs> and anxiety. Like, uh, yeah, like just, just, I mean, things are not going well price-wise. Uh, a lot of people who are writing about this are invested a lot in it. And I mean, like, to be clear, like, I have, like, a very small amount of, like, cryptocurrency in- investments, like, if, and if, like, I ever wrote about um, those, I would, like, disclose it. Um, but but that has given me, like, a really interesting perspective, even though it's, like, a very small amount, like, not enough for me to care about price movements at all. Um, but like it, it really kind of like has like, uh, solidified in my mind that like, wow, all of these people are motivated by panic. <laughs> like, 
I used to just read these tweets and be like, hmm, what's behind that? But now I know, now I know what's behind that. You are freaking out because you have like 20x leverage on like finance or whatever you're trading and you're getting wrecked. And that's what it is. So like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just been, it's been, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to be too flippant about people's livelihoods, obviously, although I realize my profile picture right now is kind of cutting against that. I I shouldn't be laughing, but I, I, there's so much schadenfreude in me towards these for people. sure and really not is. unearned schadenfreude not unearned schadenfreude certainly uh but like you know like a lot of like cryptocurrency publications are posting like wow bitcoin went up eight percent today and it's like oh god what kind of mental state you have to be in to be like oh my god yes 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 thank god <laughs> like reading that news well it's just an opportunity seem... to buy the dip right you just buy more bitcoin now right yeah i mean you know people made fun of eric adams uh new york's like mayor for like losing money in like bitcoin which like, yes, but like, I mean, I have to say like he put 10 K into Bitcoin at almost like a 50% dip that may end up being like a good call at the end of the day. We will see. Um, the other thing I want to talk to you about Jordan that has been kind of blowing up in this space is this Dan Olson video that everyone's talking about. Uh, if anyone doesn't know who Dan Olson is, he's uh, a YouTuber named foldable human. Uh, he typically produces, um, Stuff more about like film and how film works. Uh, he's got a great video about like the editing in the original Suicide movie and or Suicide Squad movie and how it weakens the film. Uh, but he put out this two-hour, twenty-minute documentary essentially about NFTs and about crypto. Um, and I forced you to watch it, and I wanted to get your kind of uh, you know as we're we're talking about this and we're looking at this space. Um, what do you what do you make of that and what what do you think people should take away from it is it a good like primer for people mm-hmm. what do you, what do you think I mean, I watched like 75% of it. It's okay. pretty long. It's like two and a half hours long. The first like 45 minutes, I mean, it was just, it's just like an explainer of the blockchain. Um, but like, uh, so I think what's probably most interesting about it is the fact that it went viral at all. Like the, the actual content is, is pretty fine. Like it's obviously like a very negative take on it, but it's not like super wrong. Uh, and like, if you're just like a, a lay person and you watch it, like, and like you come away from it, like hating NFTs. And I mean, it's not going to like do you a huge disservice that video to be completely honest. Although like, I will say like, I think some parts of it are not so good. Like there was a claim that like Waka Flocka had like his NFTs hacked that was just like put in that video. And then uh, like now it's just like viral that like, Oh, if someone sends you an NFT token, it can like hack all your shit, which like, is as far as I'm aware, like not true. Like, I think that's probably just misinformation that's gone viral because of this video, which is not good. Um, and like Lorenzo asked, uh, uh, just, you know, one of our, uh, experts and they were also like, I I don't think that's like, that doesn't seem to be what happened because we wrote about, uh, or Lorenzo, you wrote about, and, uh, I, I edited a piece, uh, about like phishing tokens and that's definitely a thing, but it's mostly like this token has the name of a website that if you go to and you connect your wallet, hacks your stuff, that definitely happens. Uh, and some other stuff in it, like that NFTs are a scheme to like raise the price of ether. Well, I, I don't think uh, that has worked out exactly <laughs> as we are seeing. The price of Ether is not doing so great, despite uh, the NFT market doing pretty fine. Um, but I think, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about like NFTs and like 
mostly like the reaction to them and why it's been so widespread and so visceral. Uh, and like, you know, a, a lot of people talked about the environmental stuff, but then like these other blockchains came along they're like, oh, we don't have an environmental footprint, so don't worry. Okay, so that critiques out the door. But like people are still like very uh, upset about it. And that video like kind of, I think, mentioned what I think is really kind of the root of it. Uh, and that's like, I mean, NFTs are a perfect encapsulation of um, capitalism. Uh, like, I think like it goes back to the enclosure of the commons, you know, like when people first put up a fence around a piece of land and said, yeah, this is mine. Now you're not allowed to hunt on this. This is mine. And it says so on this piece of paper, like there probably were people at that time who were like, what the fuck this is bullshit? Like, this is just like a forest. Like this isn't yours. Just it's on this piece of paper, but like fast forward a hundred years, like our entire society is based off of property rights. Um, poachers on the king's land are being executed for shooting a deer that their father would have been able to kill and eat right right exactly so like i mean all of this is like extremely artificial like it it's like as as bullshit like it's bullshit and it's in the sense that it's like it's artificial like it's like it's not real like it's a ledger somewhere like on a bunch of computers it's a list on a bunch of computers that uh says like someone owns this uh, but I mean, what it is doing is like to a, to a certain convincing degree, making information, this thing that is like definitionally non-scarce, infinitely copyable, abundant, it's information. This thing that like in the nineties that like, you know, people were like information wants to be free. That's what we thought. But I kind of have to wonder, like, if it really only seemed that way because of how sort of undeveloped within capitalism the Internet was as a technology. And that as soon as we kind of like got the ability to sort of, um, you know, artificially, yes, abstractly, yes, but also convincingly uh, say that a piece of information is now scarce, um, you know, there's almost only one kind of way it can go under our like current capitalist system based on property rights. Like the idea of turning this definitionally non-scarce thing, which is information into a scarce good by some artificial means of enclosure that the majority of society, the people who are in control agree on. That's like, that's a dream, obviously. Like, I mean, that's, that's the dream. Like infer like information is like, it's like the stars you look, there's infinite stars, there's infinite information. And, but if you can convince someone to say, you know, Oh, we're going to like buy one of these stars. Cause I write down on this piece of paper, it's yours now. Like that's kind of what it is. But like, but if enough people agree on it, then because you know, it makes money and it's an industry, that's probably the way it's going to go. And I think that's what people are reacting to not unfairly because like it is this like imposition of capitalism on something that for so long we've like believed or hoped was like resistant to that for reasons of science and physics because it's information. But like now we have this like emergent regime uh, that is trying to impose like a an element of artificial scarcity on that for no reason except for um, like commerce essentially and I completely understand why that is like something people are reacting against. Uh, and 
I'm almost, I'm honestly like even like happy that people are kind of zoning in on this because I feel like we're getting closer and closer. We're getting closer and closer to like what this thing is really about and reacting directly to that. Um, so in terms of like the video that went viral, like I think that is kind of the most interesting part of it to me. I think that's a really good place to, I think that's a really good message to go out on. I think you've identified definitely what, like what, where my feelings come from when I see this, 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 this idea that we need to financialize everything, that everything needs to be a market is disgusting to me personally. Um, in having yeah, grown up I mean, in that nineties, you know, yeah, having grown up in that that nineties milieu of information wants to be free, we have this beautiful thing that people want to keep putting fences around, and I will, I I say no, fuck that. Um, Lorenzo Franceschi Bicarai, uh, Jordan Pearson, thank you both for coming on to Cyber and walking us through all these crypto hacks and what is going on. Uh, if you tuned in late, uh, you can hear this as a podcast. will be going up tomorrow. And uh, we will be back next week again here on twitch.tv forward slash motherboard TV uh, broadcasting next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, another episode. Thank you all so much for showing up. And uh, some people have said in the chat the last couple times, hack the planet, hack the planet, and keep those damn apes going to the mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.